Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Farfetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly rewarding career as a writer. next few weeks, I'm going to be talking a lot about my writing and my creative projects, but I'm also going to be talking to people in my life, family, friends, colleagues who have helped me along in my career in one way or the other. I'm also going to be talking to just some special people who make me laugh a lot. And as with most of my creative projects, I'm doing this almost entirely for my own enjoyment. I'm new to this podcast thing, so I'm sure to be making some mistakes. I will be saying the wrong things, pushing the wrong buttons, etc. I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, A fellow podcaster recently tried to get me over this apprehension by telling me, Mark, it's no big deal. You'll start to feel the flow after the first 50 episodes. And I thought, 50? (laughs) 50 episodes? Man, if I'm on episode 49 and I'm still not feeling it, I'm going to be one grumpy podcaster. Anyway, here I am. Let's give it a go. I have some good stories to tell, including some celebrity appearances. Yes, that's right. I'm going to tell about the time I tricked Ray Bradbury into reading one of my science fiction stories. I'll talk about the time Tony Randall insulted my writing. I'll tell you the story of how I palled around with Bill Paxton on the set of Big Love. And I'll tell you one of my favorite stories, how I stepped on Mark Hamill's glasses and then lied to him about it. Oh, I also have a great story about the weekend I spent working on the back lot at Universal Studios when I ended up getting eaten by the shark from Jaws. True story. So, why am I here? There are reasons. First of all, cancer. About a year and a half ago, I started to get very sick. I was coughing constantly. I couldn't sleep at all. I was constantly fatigued, always short of breath. I thought it was bronchitis, so I just ignored it because you just kind of ignore bronchitis until it goes away. Well, after about three months, I got really tired of waiting for it to go away, and my wife finally convinced me to go to the emergency room. While I was at the emergency room, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I was told that I was going to die by a really dumb doctor who didn't know what he was talking about. It turned out he was looking at my medical images upside down. This doctor looked at my x-rays upside down. Apparently, somehow he looked at my CAT scan upside down as well and came to the conclusion that I basically had a huge cancerous growth right behind my heart and I was going to die. Well, it turned out that wasn't the case, I'm happy to say. I have survived. I am in full remission a year and a half later. But being diagnosed with cancer and being told by some idiot doctor that you're going to die really makes you contemplate your mortality. It makes you think about all the things you wanted to accomplish with your life and makes you wonder whether you've accomplished all of them or even any of them. And it just gives you a whole lot of really sad and somber things to think about. So that's one reason I'm doing this. Reason two, unpacking. Actually, packing and unpacking. My wife and I recently moved from Wisconsin to Georgia, 
And in the course of that move, I had to pack up and then unpack the entire contents of my home office for the first time in over 15 years. And there were a lot of surprises in the stuff I was moving around. Scripts, endless scripts, endless story outlines, endless pitches, all sorts of writing projects that I had written mostly for my own enjoyment, as I said before, but not always. And they had piled up. Apparently, I had kept every one of the scripts and outlines and pitches that I had ever written. And I started thinking, what can I do with this stuff? I started getting a little sentimental about it. And again, combine this with the cancer. And I started thinking about, you know, what I've accomplished in my career. And is there anything any good in these positive scripts that nobody has ever read or nobody's read for many, many years? So that was part of the thought process. Third, the house that my wife and I bought in Georgia was owned by a ham radio operator. And so there is not only a 60-foot aerial outside the house, which my wife is not very happy about, but there's this shortwave radio command center in the basement. I'm sitting here right now. It surrounds me on three sides. It's this vast, multi-leveled desk and workplace And it's just been sitting here serving absolutely no purpose since we moved in four months ago. And I just keep thinking, what what can I do with that room? What can I do with that space? So that was reason number three. Reason number four, this past Christmas, my wife got me a podcast microphone. And I love it. It's a Yeti Blue, which I guess a lot of podcasters swear by. And I'm using it right now. And... Basically, once I had the microphone and the shortwave radio room, what reason was there to not do a podcast? I was basically forced to do a podcast. I'm I'm doing this because I have to now. So I hope I can make it fun. So once you decide to do a podcast, what's next? What's the podcast going to be about? The obvious answer for me would have been UFOs. I started blogging about UFOs about 10 years ago. Uh, My blog was and is called High Strangeness. I was doing that mostly for fun, but it sort of opened a lot of doors for me and gave me a bizarre new career that includes getting a book published and co-executive producing and appearing in a reality TV show about UFOs. All of this has come about because of that blog that I started writing 10 years ago. Now, at the time... I had a friend who had written a blog for many, many years, and every time I saw him, he would say, O.C., that was my nickname, O.C., you really need to start writing a blog. You'd be a natural at it. And I always resisted because I thought, what what the hell can I keep writing about over and over and over again for months and years at a time without losing interest? I just couldn't think of anything. My two passions in life growing up were drawing cars. I At one point, I wanted to be a car designer and, and making movies. And I didn't really feel that I could make a blog out of either of those topics. I I didn't think I had enough experience or I had enough interesting things to say to go with it. So I decided to write a blog about UFOs. And as I said, it's been very good to me. It's opened a lot of doors. It's led to a lot of really, really interesting moments and experiences. So when I started thinking about doing the podcast, naturally my thoughts went to UFOs. I've done all right with those in my blog. Why not do the podcast about it? Well, 
there's a very good reason not to do a podcast about UFOs, and that is there are already so many podcasts about UFOs, the world does not need another one. I faced that same problem when I decided to do the blog about UFOs. I dealt with it by making my blog sort of tongue-in-cheek. I think that worked. But when it came to doing the podcast, I just started realizing that there were so many really good UFO podcasts out there, and, and I've, I've been a guest speaker on many of them, but there were just so many of them out there that I didn't really feel like I would have enough to contribute to justify another one. I didn't think I could make it interesting enough to justify having one more podcast all about UFOs. But there was something about podcasts that did intrigue me. And that is dead air. We've always heard that in radio, the last thing you want is dead air. You do not want any silence on the radio station, not even for one second. And yet I noticed on the few times that I did listen to podcasts that dead air was the thing. Podcasts are all about dead air. It's amazing how much mileage podcasts can get out of just dead silence for, I don't know. I don't know how many seconds you can go. Let's try. Well, that was a pretty good silence. Did it make you feel like you wanted to listen more? Did it hook you? Did it drag you in? I hope so. I guess that's why it's done. It certainly builds suspense, I think. So I found that really intriguing. That was one appealing thing about doing a podcast, was that I could play with that dead air thing. And maybe there were, would be other things I would learn about how to communicate in this new format for me. So, that still doesn't help me figure out what I'm going to do a podcast about. About a year ago, I sort of dropped doing the blog, in part because of my cancer treatment. I just didn't feel like I had the energy to sit down and write uh, blog posts all the time. It just wasn't there for me. So I started to get into Twitter a little more about a year ago, and I quickly realized that I could reach more people in less time with one tiny little tweet than I could with a, with a lengthy blog post. There was just no comparison. Twitter just suddenly seemed like the way to go to communicate with people that I want to communicate with. And there were three communities in Twitter that I was drawn to that became a part of my thought process. The first was, of course, UFO Twitter. This is a very lively group of people who have all sorts of theories and interests about the UFO phenomenon. And it's, it's all over the place ranging from everything from, you know, paranoid conspiracy theorists to people who believe that aliens are angels and everything in between. It's just a really, really interesting group of people on Twitter who are not shy about sharing their, their ideas at all. And I found that I, I, I fit into UFO Twitter in my own way. So that's been very fun and very motivating. Second community on Twitter is the writing community. There is... There is just an amazing group of people, and it doesn't matter if they're newbies just getting started, who, who want to write but have never written a single word, or if they are uh, accomplished professionals who already have amazing careers going. There's room for everybody in the Twitter writers community, and I've, I've found that tremendously inspiring and energizing. I really like talking to people in that community. Everybody's always willing to offer support, offer opinions. There is no judgment involved. Everyone's, we're all in it together. We're all in the same boat, and I love that. 
The third community is the Star Trek community. I wrote a few episodes of Star Trek in the 1990s. That's been a, a big part of my life and my career. And I've been pleased and surprised to find out how alive Star Trek still is after all these years. Who would have thought that this television show that debuted in 1966 and just constantly struggled to find viewers until it just finally died in the ratings after three years? Who would have thought that this show, which was in all respects a failure... Who'd have thought that here in 2021, Star Trek would be more alive and more popular than ever, creating countless spin-offs, creating parallel Star Trek universes, developing a, a, an amazingly energetic fan base. It's a really wonderful world to be a part of. I'm very proud of the small contributions I've made to Star Trek, and I'm happy to say that even with a small contribution, Star Trek remains a part of your life forever. I mean, on the one hand, I still, I still collect residual checks every, every three months for writing I did 20-some years ago. That's pretty cool. But more than that, I'm just part of this online community of Trek freaks. And I have some of my best friends are, are people I bonded with over our love of Star Trek. And I think a lot of people can say that as well. So those three communities, UFOs, writing, and Star Trek... Those three really engaged me, really appealed to me, and I started thinking, well, maybe there's a way that I can combine all three of those communities in one podcast. Why not do a podcast that's a little bit about UFOs, it's a little bit about writing, it's a little bit about Star Trek. In other words, it's a little bit about my own career as a writer. Suddenly, it all just came together, and I realized that's what I wanted to do my podcast about. Now, going back to the idea of unpacking, my first thought when I settled on this approach was that all I had to do was take out all my old Star Trek pitches from my file cabinets and just read those. Every podcast, just read a few Star Trek pitches and see what people thought of them. And that is definitely going to be a part of this podcast. It's not going to be the only thing. But because it's one of the through lines through my career, I think it's going to be a major part of it. So I may not start with this installment but, or the next installment, but by the third installment, I'll be ready to start sharing some of those Star Trek pitches with you and hopefully getting some feedback from you. I know Star Trek fans will always have opinions on Star Trek stories, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that very, very much. Now, two very interesting things have happened over the last couple of weeks that have also contributed to my thinking with this podcast. When I was three years old, my first conscious memory involved an alien, a scary alien being that appeared in the pilot episode of a black and white anthology science fiction TV series called The Outer Limits. This was 1963. I was three years old. For some strange reason that I will never know, my mom was watching the premiere episode of The Outer Limits. And in this episode, entitled The Galaxy Being, uh, a radio engineer who wanted to make contact with extraterrestrial intelligences was a little more successful than he expected, and he ended up transporting this glowing energy being to Earth, and the energy being causes all sorts of chaos and destruction. And the monster terrified me. The way they did it was very clever. They had an actor wear a wetsuit, so a black wetsuit with a matching head cover, and then they smeared Vaseline all over it, and they photographed the monster like that. But then they 
used the negative of the film to show the monster. So instead of a man in a glistening black scuba suit, it was a man in a glistening white scuba suit with no facial features except for two little round black circles for his eyes. Scared the living shit out of me. And my memory is that I ran upstairs to the landing and I hit around the corner and I told my mom I would not come out until the monster went away. And instead of shutting off the TV and comforting me, my mom just kept watching the show. And when it was finally over, she told me that the monster had gone and that it was safe to come out. So I finally came out. But that scarred me. It scarred me for life. But strangely enough, it scarred me in a good way. It, instead of making me shun monsters and creatures and science fiction, it made me embrace them and just love them. And so that's just been an ongoing theme in my life. And it all started with that one moment of terror when I was, when I was three years old. So a couple of weeks ago, I posted on Twitter. I described that incident from my childhood. And I asked people to share their experiences. I asked people to share what creature or monster from TV or movies or literature scared you the most when you were a kid. And the response I got to that tweet was unbelievable. This, this was my first stab at something even approaching going viral. Over 20,000 people viewed that tweet. About 2,000 or so responded to it. And a lot of people had some amazing stories to tell about the creatures that, have, that scared them in their use and that have haunted them for the rest of their lives. A lot of people referred to the X-Files People, people would say, oh, this creature from, you know, season three, episode 14 of the X-Files, that's the one that did it to me. Uh, for some people, it was classic movie monsters like, like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Sometimes it was creatures from children's TV shows. There were actually some people who were terrified of characters in children's TV shows, and that terror had stayed with them for the rest of their lives. And it was so fa fascinating to me to find out what a universal experience this is for so many of us. Second, similar thing, though, when I was growing up, I had a recurring childhood nightmare, and it went something like this. I would be standing out on the back steps of our house, looking up in the sky, and we had a huge, huge backyard with lots of open sky. So in my dream, I'm looking up at this sky, and there is an advancing armada of alien spaceships. Now, they, they didn't look like flying saucers or rockets. They looked like a little diagonal, little jagged lightning bolt, the way we usually, usually draw lightning bolts. Well, there were thousands of these lightning bolt spaceships filling the air, and they were all advancing towards me. And, of course, it's at night. And I could never figure out, were the aliens advancing on the entire Earth were they advancing on my house and my family, or were they advancing on me? I could never figure that out, and that question has always kind of bothered me. Well, recently I had a discussion. In fact, it was just this past week. I had a discussion with some of my siblings. I'm one of seven kids, and when I was started to talk about this recurring childhood nightmare, well, lo and behold, it turned out that Five out of the seven of us have had very, very similar recurring childhood nightmares where we were being, we were being pursued or uh, chased by something terrifying, usually something that came out of the sky. So for a couple of us, it was flying saucers. For a couple of us, it was tornadoes, which I think is probably a proxy for a flying saucer. Uh, one of my brothers even threw Bigfoot into the mix. 
But in all of these recurring childhood nightmares, we were we were in danger, or our loved one was in danger, and we were we were being chased by whatever the evil, scary thing was, without without any idea why we were we were being chased. I thought that was pretty fascinating, and I just posted that on Twitter just uh, just a day or two ago, and I'm already getting once again really phenomenal responses to that. It's these are questions that really resonate with people. So these are going to be some of the things I write about or I talk about in my podcast. A couple other things that have led me to this point. Going back to early childhood, my mom was, and here we go, my mom is at fault again. My mom was a volunteer librarian at our little village library where I grew up. And she would often take me to the library with her when she worked her evening shifts. And whenever she took me there, I would always gravitate towards the bookshelf in the corner that had all the paranormal books. It had paperbacks, well-worn paperbacks about UFOs and Bigfoot and poltergeists and the Bermuda Triangle and the Loch Ness Monster and all that great paranormal stuff. And I, I can't believe that there were very many books on those shelves because it was not a very big library. But I always went to that bookshelf and I just read those books over and over again and stared at the pictures and the illustrations over and over again. I just could not get enough of it. And in fact, one of those books from that library gave me a terrifying, terrifying experience growing up. But I'll get to that in the next episode. Aside from the library experience, there was one other thing that I think has had a major influence on me. And that is local TV. We grew up in the country in Wisconsin in a small town that was just on the fringes of the signal of the big network TV stations in the city of Milwaukee. So we would get clear signal to watch ABC, NBC, CBS. Those were all fine. But there was also an independent station in Milwaukee, Channel 18, that barely had the power to reach us. But they showed all the cool shows. They showed all the syndicated shows. And on Saturday nights, they would often show horror movies. And sometimes we could tune those in, and sometimes we couldn't. But here's the thing. At least one weekend a month, we would go to visit family in Dubuque, Iowa. For some strange reason that I couldn't figure out then, you could tune in all the big Chicago television stations very clearly in Dubuque, Iowa. Well, it turns out they must have had some sort of repeater transmitter because Dubuque is a lot further than from Chicago than we were in southern Wisconsin and we never got those stations. So we'd go to Dubuque to visit relatives. Saturday night would come around and all the adults would go uh, play cards. They'd all play canasta all night. The older kids would all hang out and do whatever older kids did. The younger kids like me would hang around in grandma and grandpa's living room. And if there wasn't a Cubs game on that my grandpa had to watch, then we would tune in the creature feature on WGN-TV in Chicago. And they would show a lot of old, you know, classic old monster movies, Dracula, Wolfman, etc. I never got into those too much. But they also showed a lot of old Godzilla movies. And for some reason, the Godzilla movies just really appealed to me. I didn't take them seriously, of course. They weren't very scary, of course, but they were goofy and fun, and they had a certain dream logic that really, really intrigued me, and, and I'm still intrigued by it. Another family thing, my dad was really into home movies. When I was growing up, dad had this neat little wind-up movie camera. That's right, it had a wind-up motor. You had to wind it up, and when the little spring action motor ran out of energy, the camera would slowly get slower and slower and slower. 
Which was funny because when you had the film developed and played it back, it looked like everybody sped up at the end of a shot. But that was really just because the camera was getting slower because it was running out of energy. Dad used that movie camera for two things. He used it for family vacations, which was fun. We have endless movies of us camping in places all over the United States. But he also used the camera for Christmas time. Now, there was something about this camera. It was great when you shot things outdoors, but when you shot things indoors, you needed unbelievable amounts of light. So on Christmas, here's what would happen. We would get up on Christmas morning, put on our Sunday best, go to church. But as we were leaving the house, we couldn't look at anything in the living room. Well, what was in the living room was all the furniture was hidden under tarps and blankets and bed sheets. And we didn't know what was underneath those those blankets and bed sheets. So we'd go to church, we'd come back, mom would direct us all into the basement, and dad would get set up upstairs in the living room. And we knew dad was ready whenever this blinding light would suddenly emerge from the living room, because we knew that meant he had turned on his movie lights. And these movie lights were so brilliant and hot, they were like the light of a million suns. So at the top of the steps, we see the light coming from the living room, and we know it's time. Well, what's happened was... Dad, by this time, would have taken off the tarps and blankets, and Mom would let us go up into the living room one at a time. And what happened was, all of our presents would be stacked on one particular piece of furniture. Mine would be on this armchair. My brothers would be on that side of the sofa. None of them were wrapped. My parents didn't believe in wrapping Christmas presents for some reason. So, one by one, Mom would let each one of us enter the living room to find our pile of presents. But when we watched the movies, we'd always crack up because every time one of us steps into the living room and steps into the glare of those lights, we all immediately shield our eyes as if that light was going to kill us or burn us to death. And Mom would have to gently guide us to our pile of presents because we had our eyes covered because the lights hurt so badly. So we would go to our pile of unwrapped presents and, you know, and have fun. And the rest of it was just a normal fun Christmas. But that particular way of presenting the gifts and having it all recorded on film was always particularly weird and funny for us. But I loved the movie camera. And when Dad finally upgraded to a battery-powered plastic Super 8 movie camera, I inherited the old wind-up metal 8mm camera, and I started my career as a filmmaker. So, that's the story of how I got here and how I am launching this podcast. Over the coming weeks, as I said, I'll be talking a lot about the writing projects I've been involved in. I'll be sharing a lot of writing projects that never went anywhere, but still might be of interest to some people. And I'll be talking about the journey from one of these moments to the next. And it's all pretty far-fetched. Now, if you were listening closely, you may have heard what I believe is the first glitch of this podcast. A tiny little hiccup at the end of the musical track. If you didn't hear it, great. If you did, sorry. I spent about a half hour trying to edit this little glitch out of the soundtrack, and I just could not get it. I failed miserably. So there it is, and there it stays. If you like the program and have questions or comments, please feel free to contact me on Twitter. I'm at Mark O'Connell underscore one. That's at, then lowercase, M-A-R-K-O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L. You can also email me at fetched at protonmail.com. That's fetched with a capital F. 
Hope to hear from you, and I hope you'll tune in for Chapter 2.